the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sponsored by the Law Office of Robert Bergman. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning, trust, and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is your host, State Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. I'm broadcasting from my office here in San Jose in the Cambrian Park area. First of all, I want to thank all of you who have been so gracious when you have come out to my seminars or called me up on the phone. It's good to know that there are people out there who are actually listening to the show and coming away with useful information that's helping them and their families. And I hope to continue doing that for a long time in the future. My show's been on the air now for just over a year. And what I'm finding is that I've kind of hopefully reached a critical mass of listeners that um, are enabling me to um, to reach more and more people week after week and month after month. So if you'd like to give me a call today, the number is 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. I thought I'd also let you know that I do have two Living Trust seminars coming up in August, Saturday, August 10th. There's still space available at the first seminar, which will start at 9 o'clock and go till about 1045. And then the second seminar starts at 12 o'clock noon and goes till about 145. So if you don't want to get up early on a Saturday, but you'd like to have more information about living trust planning and what kinds of things we can do and and not do with that type of planning, you can come to my 12 o'clock presentation Or if you want to get up early and get that out of the way and have the rest of the day to do other things, you can come to my 9 o'clock presentation. Uh, It's filling up quickly at 9 o'clock. There is still a number of spaces available for the 12 o'clock. So please feel free to register for one of those seminars. You can go to my website to find links to register. That's lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com. Or you could go to eventbrite dot com and search for Living Trust Seminar on August 10th, and I'm likely to be the only one that shows up on that date. Well, we're getting ready to go into uh, into a weekend here, and um, my wife and I are facing something that we haven't faced so far with our children, and those of you who have young kids, maybe you can appreciate this. Our daughters are actually going away to a camp in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and they're going to be gone from late Sunday afternoon until Saturday morning. So this will be the first time 
that my wife and I have been completely separated from our children for such a long time. And uh, and I know it's going to be tough on us. Um, we love having our kids around and not having them around is going to be hard. Maybe it's a little bit of a foreshadowing of what it will be like someday when our children have moved out and uh, we no longer have them living with us. Um, so we're going to experience a little bit of that empty nest syndrome, just a small dose, and uh, hopefully my wife and I will survive the week. Uh, what it does mean, though, because my children will be gone, I actually have broader office hours at my office here in Cambrian Park, and I've opened up more time in the morning and more time in the afternoon, and a full day as well that's normally blocked off. So if you're looking now as the time to book a consultation with me, next week is a very good time for that. You can visit lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com, and click on the link for schedule or book an estate planning consultation, and you'll be able to get into my calendar, find a date and time that works for you, select that, and it will put it on my calendar. It will email you a reminder uh, of the appointment, and then I will follow up with the specific paperwork that you need to fill out and bring in with you when you come in to meet with me for your consultation. My consultations are free. They have always been free. And my reasoning is that if after meeting you've decided that I'm your guy uh, to prepare your estate plan for you, then you're going to engage my services for that purpose. If I'm not the right person, that's okay too. Because I'll tell you, Attorneys are like anybody else. We Attorneys have different personalities, different strengths, different weaknesses. And uh, I find not everybody who comes to meet with me decides that I'm the right person for them. And you know what? I'm not offended by that at all. I don't expect to be the best possible choice for everyone who comes to see me. In fact, there's been a couple of times that I've had people consult with me and I have considered that I successfully was not hired um, because it was it was clear to me that there really wasn't a good fit between us. And I think your estate planning attorney should be somebody that you can relate to, that you can trust, and that uh, you actually feel comfortable with. Um, otherwise, so I try to make the process as painless as possible. I'm a straight shooter. Just ask any of my clients. I give you the, the straight-up facts. I don't sugarcoat things, but I'm not mean about it. And I think people really are looking for someone who's going to give them the straight story, and that's what I do as an attorney. And I've done for, for uh, over 35 years practicing law here in the Santa Clara Valley. Now, for the past year, most of my shows have been focused on uh, information coming from around the state, people who are facing actual real-life situations. And what I have done is relate those situations to you, the listening audience, and then turned around and given kind of my quick analysis or um, my, my opinion about what's going on and maybe what issues are raised and what things might need to be done. Because I have found that when I do this, there are people listening Pretty much every week there's someone listening that hears something that, and they say, wow, that's like my situation. 
or that's similar to what my friend's going through, or that's what happened when my father passed away. And the purpose of me doing this is because I want people to be more aware of the issues that come up in the exciting area of estate planning. It's exciting to me. I know it's not exciting to most of you out there, but you're listening right now, which tells me that at least you have more than a passing interest in the kinds of things I talk about. So let's go into some of these questions and my comments from around the state of California. Now, here's a situation out of Los Angeles. And um, this family's indicating that their siblings stole personal family items from their mother's home when the sibling found out that the mother was in a facility, I'm assuming like a nursing home. And then uh, the siblings borrowed, quote, borrowed money in the past and taken mom's car, uh, also broke things in mom's home, tried to coerce mom for the car keys as recently as last year. I have power of attorney and my other sibling is the trustee. We're both afraid that if we prosecute our third sibling for theft, the sibling will sue us personally. Well, let me tell you, first of all, you don't prosecute anybody. If you think someone has stolen from a family member and you believe there's evidence to prove they've done that, your decision is, do we go to the police and do we file a complaint, yes or no? And then you let the police and the district attorney decide whether or not there's going to be any prosecution. If, in fact, uh, it turns out there has been a theft, then this third sibling's not going to be able to successfully sue uh, the other two siblings for much of anything. Um, but if you suspect things, you have a right to actually go in and voice your concerns to Adult Protective Services in the county where you happen to be located. So this is ending the first segment of the show. If you want to come on the air and ask me a question, it's 800-516-1220. Otherwise, after the break, I'll be returning with more questions and comments from around the state of California. So this is Attorney Bob Bergman, and I will talk to you after the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. Before the break, I was talking about uh, a situation that a family was facing where a sibling had stolen personal items from a parent and the, the other siblings were concerned about going after that sibling and maybe uh, accusing them of theft from the mother and whether uh, they might uh, be actually personally sued by that sibling. And I said, basically, if you believe someone is stealing from a family member, even if it's another family member, your choice is, do I allow this to go on or do I go to Adult Protective Services in this case or do I go to the police and file a complaint and then let that all be sorted out? Um, You can't stop somebody from suing you for any purpose, for any reason whatsoever. Um, Whether or not someone is successful in suing you is a completely separate question from whether or not uh, you can prevent them from suing you. Someone can always sue you uh, for any reason whatsoever. It doesn't mean that they're going to be successful in their lawsuit. 
So moving on here, uh, here's someone uh, here out of Santa Clara County that says, I suspect that my sibling took advantage of my parents' mental incompetence uh, so a trust could be set up for her personal gain. Seems like we have a lot of problems with siblings, don't we, here? The question is, if I'm one of the beneficiaries, do I have a right to examine the living trust? Good question. The short answer is no, unless the parents are deceased. And now, at that point, you're entitled to a copy of the terms of the trust. While the parents are still alive, there's no absolute right to take a look at a trust that the parent or parents created. That being said, if you have evidence of uh, that the sibling took uh, unfair advantage of parents because they were mentally incompetent, that would be something to go to Adult Protective Services in the county where you're located and tell them what your concerns are. And then APS, or Adult Protective Services, they have the power to go and interview people and do an investigation to see if there is, in fact, any truth to um, the concerns, if there's any truth to the allegations. Now, here's someone out of Los Angeles. says, I am the successor trustee and beneficiary of real estate in a revocable trust. Listed beneficiaries are receiving monetary gifts. If I sell the real property in order to fund expenses, am I entitled to the proceeds of the real property at the settlor's death? The trust says I get 100% of property or assets other than the beneficiary's gifts, but does not state what about the proceeds in the event of the sale of the house. Okay, so here we go. Um, If there are specific gifts of money to be given to people, those generally come right off the top. Those are given before other gifts are made in someone's trust. If, as this person says, they're supposed to get 100% of everything other than the gifts to those beneficiaries, that would include the proceeds of the sale of the house. It doesn't mean that the house has to be distributed to this person. It means that the property could be sold and the proceeds from the sale could be part of that 100% of property or assets other than the beneficiary's gifts. So that the fact the fact that the character of the property changes from real estate to cash in the bank doesn't change that. Now, if the trust said you are to receive this specific property and that's it, probably the analysis would still be the same. But what if you were to receive that property, but it's sold before the person who owned it actually dies? Now the question is, do you get, are you entitled to the proceeds of the sale of that property? Well, only if you're entitled to get uh, what we call the residual estate, or the trust itself says you're entitled to the property or the proceeds if it's sold. So that's a pretty straightforward question that these people came up with here about whether or not they're entitled to receive anything. So here, my brother, my niece, and I are all named as beneficiaries in my parents' living trust. My brother is the trustee. Now, we all help pay the mortgage and bills. My niece has said she will no longer pay her portion of the bills. 
Also, she has two friends living at my parents' house, and they've not paid their rent either. Can my brother proceed with evictions? One last question. If my niece wants her half of my parents' assets, which is the property, what are our options? Well, let's break this down. If the niece is living in the property and she is now one of the owners because she was a beneficiary under the trust, she cannot be evicted because ownership carries the right to possession of property. So she has the right to be there. Now, doesn't necessarily mean her two friends who are living there have a right to be there because they're not owners. So presumably other owners of the property could move to evict those friends from the house if they're actually co-owners. But then there's nothing really stopping the niece turning around and uh, and letting them back in again after the eviction. I mean, it's um, this is a messy situation. What they're likely going to have to do if they want to if they want to not be trying to pay this mortgage and bills and everything, um, if the niece wants her half, then the options are either sell the property, buy out the niece, her half, uh, or if she refuses to do anything, then you can file what's called a partition action in the superior court in the county where the property is located. A partition action is basically going to the court and saying, Judge, we own property together with this person over here. We want our share of the property out. They refuse to sell. And and so, Judge, we're not required to stay in a partnership with people we don't want to be partners with. So please turn around and order that the property be sold so that the proceeds can be distributed between the owners in proportion to their interests as they appear on the title, whether it's equally or different percentages. That's called a partition action. I have time for one more quick one before the uh, the mid-show break. And uh, here, this comes out of my county here. Sadly, got some bad things out of my county this week. Our mother forged our father's signature, giving her the house when he said that if and when the house was sold, the money was to be divided among the six children. She sold the house and bought a townhouse for her and her new husband and left us in the streets. Well, if the mother actually did forge the father's signature on a document that was recorded, that is a crime. It's not only a civil offense, but it's a criminal offense. Forgery is a felony, especially in reference to real estate because of the value of the property. And if they can prove that, they should go and file a complaint with the police and have an investigation held for that purpose. So, we're at the mid-show break now. After the break, I'll come back with more questions and comments from around the state of California. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman of Plan Your State Radio, and we'll be back after the break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. So I'm going to continue on with more questions and comments from around the state of California. I 
to make sure as I'm shifting around here that I don't roll my chair over the microphone cable. Um, tip for the day, don't do that. It, uh, you can end up having your headset jerk down very, very sharply, and it's not exactly, uh, let's just say it doesn't exactly feel very good when that happens. So, here's, uh, gosh, another one out of my county here, here in San Jose. Um, this person said, and this is this is actually a very important one. So, if you have minor children and you're concerned about a, a former spouse somehow having any kind of influence or control over the property you might leave for that child or children, let's look at this situation here. This person's starting a living trust in their own name and looking into ways to make sure that uh, their properties go to their child once the child becomes an adult, like 18 to 25 years. I would say not 18, 25 still might be too young. That's my opinion. That was my opinion when I was a young lawyer, only about 29 or 30. I thought 25 was maybe be maybe too young. Maybe be. I'm sorry about that. So um, the question is, uh, this person would like to put some conditions into their trust so that uh, under no circumstance could the property be used for the benefit of an ex-spouse or the ex's family. Um, also want to make sure the estate stays invested and money can be taken only up to a certain amount per year. And the estate is always exclusively in the child's name. It doesn't become community property if the child gets married. Well, I think what this person's really talking about is a type of planning that I do in my practice for a lot of families that have minor children and adult children, uh, for that matter. It's the type of planning I've done for my own children, and it's what I call castle trust planning. I call it castle trust planning because uh, what we're talking about is leaving property in trust for someone, maybe until they reach a certain age, but maybe for their entire lifetime. I talk about this in my Living Trust Seminar. And uh, I think it's a very, very good way to make sure that property does not end up in the wrong hands, does not end up accidentally mixed into a marriage and become community property, and then then your child loses half of their property when the divorce comes later. The Castle Trust basically says, let's take this property and let's put it into a trust for the lifetime of the child, put someone else in charge of the property when the child's underage. Uh, if the child turns out to be financially incompetent at an older age, you can still have somebody staying in charge and handling it for that child. If the child becomes incapacitated, same thing. If the child is married or engaged to be married, you can have a requirement put in that that existing spouse or future spouse of the child has to enter into a marital property agreement giving up any all right or claim to the inheritance that's being passed on to your child. This is what I've done for my own kids, uh, my two daughters, because quite frankly, I don't trust um, the boys that want to marry my girls someday. That's um, just the way it is. I'm a dad. Um, I've been married before. I, I uh, and, you know, and I'm married now, and this is the marriage that worked. I have the T-shirts. I have the scars. I have all those things. So 
Those of you who've been through a marriage and a divorce, you know what I'm talking about. I think it's a good thing to think about making sure that an inheritance can be protected for a child after they receive it. And it's, to my way of thinking, the best way is to protect that inheritance for the entire lifetime of the child so that if at any point they end up in a situation where they're in a bad marriage, um, they don't have their inheritance at risk there. You can also make sure that nothing is going to go to the ex-spouse or the ex-spouse's family. They can be completely excluded as uh, and disinherited from this trust so that uh, it can never be turned over to them or used for their benefit. Those are the kinds of things that we're talking about. And I do this regularly for uh, individual parents and married couples and uh, they're very relieved at the thought that their hard-earned money and property is not going to end up maybe being lost once it's passed on to their children. This works especially well if you have a child who's financially incompetent and or if you have a child who is a special needs child, you want to make sure that you leave property in a proper way to take care of them so that uh, it cannot be lost or be required to be uh, spent down or used up before the uh, before the child can actually receive some assistance because they have a disability. Now here, oh, this is kind of an interesting question because it, it segues into uh, another issue. This person says, I'm the sole successor trustee on a revocable trust. Can I live in Europe part-time and manage the trust from abroad? Well, the answer is a qualified yes. What I would want to know is, if you're the successor trustee, are you in fact a U.S. citizen or U.S. permanent resident? Or are you a citizen of a European country and you're here part-time? If you are a non-citizen, non-resident and you're the trustee, that actually would trigger what's called foreign trust status for that revocable trust. I'm actually uh, talking with someone right now who is the successor trustee and uh, the person's a Canadian citizen and has been named to take over a trust here. Uh, the, the mother lived here and named this child as the successor trustee. And we're talking about the issue of foreign trust status. Foreign trust status is triggered under the Internal Revenue Code when you have a trustee who has more than purely administrative powers, you know, things like um, keeping the books and records and things, but, but has investment authority, distribution authority, all kinds of things like that. In that case, unless the person is a citizen or permanent resident um, and actually here, um, well, actually a citizen or permanent resident, Foreign trust status have, has all kinds of reporting requirements for the Internal Revenue Service, and it becomes an administrative burden. So I would ask this person, are you actually a U.S. citizen or permanent resident, and you're just going to be now and then spending time in Europe? If that's the case, you're good. Uh, you could actually handle things from Europe as long as you can figure out the logistics of handling investments and distributions and things trust back here in the United States. Now, here's someone who said they gave up a child for adoption 
and they wanted to know, does that child have any legal claim to the estate? A person wants to leave their estate to a nonprofit. Does that child have any legal claim to the estate? The, the short answer is no, um, because if there is a formal legal adoption, then the legal relationship of parent and child is actually ended by a court. I can speak with some certainty about this because I am an adopted person myself. Uh, Bergman is not my original name. Uh, people meet me and they say, you know, so Bergman, is that a Jewish name? And I go, no. In this case, it's actually a Swedish name, but it was my dad's name. It's not my birth name. So I'm not Swedish at all. Uh, I'm actually Italian and German and Austrian and a, and a bunch of other things mixed in. So uh, that meant that even though I located my birth mother a number of years ago and corresponded for a while, when she passed away, I had no claim of any kind to be an heir of her estate because I was no longer legally her child. Uh, so that would be the short answer there. Uh, but to be absolutely sure, identify the fact that you had that child and they were adopted out and then specifically exclude them or disinherit them just to be extra special, um, you know, hold your pinky together uh, certain that that it's going to um, be able to go to that nonprofit you want it to go to. Now here, person said, okay, my aunt died in March and is in California. I'm an heir to her state, but I'm in Arizona. I've not been contacted and her house just sold. What do I file as an heir and to where? Well, if we're talking about an estate, it sounds like a probate estate. And if, you, if you're an heir to the estate and you haven't been contacted, there's something seriously wrong there. Uh, if the house has been sold, how did you know the house has been sold? Um, if there was a trust and you're a beneficiary of the trust, you're supposed to receive notice of that fact and a right to a copy of the terms of the trust. And the trustee is supposed to keep you informed, reasonably informed of what's going on. Sounds like that has not happened. If it's a probate estate and you're, in fact, an heir, either an intestate heir, someone who is going to inherit from the aunt um, then under the laws of the state, then you're supposed to be notified when the probate starts. And then uh, eventually, when the probate closes, the funds would be distributed out. So we're coming up on the third break of the show. If you'd like to call me with any questions, it's 800-516-1220. You could also email me at radio at lawbob.com with your questions. Uh, but after the break, we'll come back and continue on. This is attorney Bob Bergman. Talk with you after the break. to plan your estate radio once again your host estate planning trust and probate law specialist attorney bob bergman hi welcome back we're heading into the final segment of the show today and 
I thought I would actually let you all know about an event that's going to be coming up in uh, San Francisco uh, the 15th through the 17th of August. Uh, my understanding is it's going to be at the Hilton in San Francisco, and it's the Money Show. Uh, three days of uh, speakers and, and events and information about uh, finances and money stuff. And uh, I'm going to be there at the Money Show on Friday afternoon, uh, August 16th, broadcasting my show live from the Money Show. Uh, tentatively, I'm going to have a guest on that show who is another uh, talk show host here on KDOW. I'm not going to disclose who that is yet um, because we haven't completely nailed that down. And it's possible that I will be guesting on another show uh, either before and or after my show broadcasting live. So if you happen to be in San Francisco, uh, tickets to The Money Show are free. You can get them at eventbrite.com. Just search for The Money Show. Uh, you can get free tickets there, so there's no cost to get in. And uh, if you haven't already met me because you have come in for a consultation or you've come to one of my seminars in my office here and you'd like to actually uh, see what I look like and see me in person and see how I work uh, work without a net, as it were, uh, broadcasting live in front of a bunch of people walking by. Uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I hope um, some of you will be able to come by and at least wave, and maybe we'll get a chance to uh, chat later on that afternoon. I can meet some of you out there. Uh, that would really be great. If you'd like to call now, though, it's 800-516-1220. And uh, if you call now, I'd have time to take maybe one question on the air. But I'm going to go into now um, the final segment of the show here and finish it up. Here's someone that says, um, I have a house in my name alone that was put into a living trust. If I take the house out of the trust, is there a default ownership type that uh, is put on there, such as in my name alone and not jointly with my wife, which is what it was before being placed in the trust? Or do I have to specify the kind of ownership when I move it out of the trust? What I'm hearing here is someone that says, I'm married. I have a house that was my separate property, and I put it into a trust with my spouse. So if I want to take it out of the trust, first of all, it's probably going to take the spouse signing the paperwork, taking it back out again, putting it maybe back into your name alone. Your name is a married, uh, as a married person as sole and separate property. Um, so when it's taken out of the trust, you'd want to make sure that the new ownership, which might be the old ownership, is actually clearly reflected on that deed. Okay, here, person said, my aunt just passed mid-April. I've lived in her home eight years while she was in a facility. I took care of all her needs and handled the finances house expenses, doctor visits, etc., while my brother did nothing. I am um, executor of her will and a successor trustee. My brother is always broke, so he insists I list the home now. I need to leave the pricey Bay Area and find a home, but I don't want to rush it. How much time do I legally have to sell the property? The trust doesn't specify anything other than the house goes to me and my brother. 
Well, I wish I could say there is a hard and fast rule for how long you have to sell a property, but it really doesn't work that way. Um, how much time it takes to sell a property can be affected by all kinds of things. The condition of the property. Is it able to be sold in its present condition? Does it have to have repairs done? Does it need to be remodeled first in order to get the best value? What's the housing market like at the time? Is it a good housing market? Is it a bad housing market? We've had both good and bad housing markets here in the Bay Area over the past 50 years I've lived here. So really a lot of times properties held on to for a long time because all the beneficiaries have decided let's wait until the market improves. In this case, this person in charge, they can take a reasonable amount of time to sell. I would say if you get the property on the market within three or four months, um, maybe say within six months of the passing of the ant, that is certainly reasonable. Um, if you're living in the property, though, which it sounds like is still the case, then you're just living there and you've got your brother owning half the property now. I think you need to be very careful about waiting a long time to get that property sold because you're essentially living in the property rent free. So we're going to wind up today. And I wanted to remind you all that uh, I do have Living Trust seminars coming up August 10th in my office. I have a 9 o'clock and a 12 o'clock seminar on that day. 12 o'clock has uh, quite a bit of room right now. 9 o'clock is filling up fast. So if you'd like to come in and learn about Living Trust Planning, meet me in person, kick the tires as it were to see if I might be the right guy for you to do your estate plan, here's your chance. Go to lawbob.com where you'll find registration links or eventbrite.com where you and search for Living Trust Seminar on August 10th. So until next week, this is attorney Bob Bergman. Uh, I hope my wife and I get through this week as our daughters go off to camp. You can pray for us that we'll be okay by next Friday. So until next Friday, this is attorney Bob Bergman. I will talk with you then. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.